Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. This week, we're joined by Jenny K. Brown, who, as Gemma Bard, is the author of Pros and Poison, the first in the Cafe Pros mystery series. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Matt. Hi, Jillian. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're very excited to have you on. You're one of our favorite listeners. Um, You've been with us since the very beginning, and we're thrilled to have you. Thank you. Absolutely. And and we're so interested in your cozy mystery series, which we both just finished and really enjoyed. It's super cozy. We're excited for our listeners to try it, and we can't wait to talk to you about it. Good. I can't wait to talk about it, too. (laughs) (laughs) But as always, as you know, as a listener, we start with things that are making us feel cozy this week. Yes. Jenny, take it away. What's making you feel cozy this week? There are so many things, and I had to narrow it down to one. And it is the Agatha Raisin mystery series on Acorn Television. Have you heard of that or seen it? No. I've read Agatha Raisin novels. Tell me about the TV show. So the TV show, it follows, obviously, Agatha. and, And just like the novels, it takes place in the Cotswolds. And it's just beautiful scenery, really cozy setting in a a small, quaint little town. Agatha is the epitome of quirky character. She's a 40-something woman um, who was in PR at one point, who now lives in this little town. And of course, (laughs) multiple people usually get murdered in every episode. And she has to, of course, get her nose in everybody's business to solve you know, these, these mysteries and there's a love interest. I like, as you know, cause you read my book, I always like there to be a little bit of a love mm-hmm. interest and there's some underlying romance throughout most of the episodes and throughout her whole arc. Um, but it's just super fun. And what I like the most about it, I think is the way I set up my viewing. <laughs> so when I watch Agatha Raisin, it's typically when my son, who was five, I put him to bed and my husband has funny work hours at times, so usually he'll be in bed as well. So I have my time. I'll pour myself a glass of wine, and I have a recliner chair that I got from Costco, which was on super sale, which is amazing. And it vibrates <laughs> too, so I get a oh. little massage. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Sounds really nice. Get that full surround rumble effect while you're watching Agatha Raisin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So I have that, and I have my wine, and I have a big cozy blanket. And then I have two dogs, my little, my one dog, Gia, she's a Yorkie. She usually jumps up on me. And then I just sit and watch my mystery and it's just fantastic. You know how to live. Wine, <laughs> big blanket, vibrating dog. chair, well, being by yourself. <laughs> yeah, by myself. It's that's, that's what I like. I like to watch my TV alone. <laughs> But it, but I get interrupted so often because my dogs will bark at something going by. My dog Riesling, named after a wine, appropriately. Oh. I love that name. Yeah. She's a black lab mix. But she'll bark, and so Gia will jump off my lap because she wants to know what's going on. So then I have to usually hit pause because I can't hear anything until the dogs stop barking. And then I'll forget my water or something on the kitchen table, and I have to get up. So it takes me about 10 minutes to get really get settled into my Agatha Raisin mysteries. That sounds perfect. I think my next cat's name is Cabernet. Yes. <laughs> I love that. We should do dog. more wine pet names. Yeah. I agree. Merlot is our next dog. The next dog we get will be Merlot. I like that. I'm going to name my cat Red Blend. <laughs> Fox wine. <laughs> Fox wine. That's fantastic. Agatha Raisin, that was by MC Beaton, right? Yep, MC Beaton. Are you a fan of the, the book series at all? I am. I am. And it follows closely with the series. Each episode is a, is a book. 
Okay, so they're really not dragging it out then. They're really tearing yeah. through it. I mean, there's a lot of content there. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a lot. And right now, I think they have two seasons, and it, they're short seasons. And I think the third one's coming out. If I read correctly, it's really sad. The The woman who plays Agatha Raisin, I feel like her husband died or was maybe murdered oh. himself. Oh. I feel like I read that somewhere. I need to research that. Maybe I shouldn't broadcast that unless I get my details. Sounds like we need to have a meta mystery for the yeah. show. Yeah. Yes. Um, and what's Acorn TV? I've never heard of that. It's like cozy television. It's a British. It's like a British Hallmark, I would say. Oh, okay. Um, it's all cozy. So it's a British channel. Yeah, like a British channel. They have cozy mysteries. Um, I think some romance, suspense. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah I never heard of it, but it, it sounds good. You have to pay a little extra. I pay four ninety nine a month to subscribe just to Acorn Television because I uh, okay. will get the raisin. <laughs> well, that that is a strong endorsement. Yeah, that so is. I'll check that out. Yes. What's making me feel cozy this week is I recently took a road trip to Marfa, Texas, which is pretty remote for a friend's wedding party. On our way there, we decided to make my husband and I decided to make a a road trip out of it and to do lots of stops. And so one of our stops was at Carlsbad Cavern National Park. That's in New Mexico, if you're not familiar. And I mean, the big draw there are these, the caverns. So you go into these caves, miles underground, and these truly no picture does it justice because it's just so big. It's like almost like you're in a cathedral, but it's all a cave. It's pretty, but that's not what's making me feel cozy. What made me feel cozy is that every night at sunset, they'd have a bat flight. And so there's kind of an amphitheater set up around the cave, like the entrance of Carl's Bad Caverns. It's so dramatic. So I'll just kind of set, set the stage. So you're sitting in this amphitheater. It's sunset. There's a bunch of other people with you. And all around you are cave swallows and they're diving and there's just so many birds. And at first you kind of think the birds are bats because they're, they're about the same size and you know, they're, they're, they're swooping and diving, which, and they're not like struggling. I feel like the funny thing about bats to me, I find them super cozy because they always have to flap their wings to stay in the air, which I feel like is a metaphor for anyone struggling through life, which is most of us. And so I, I like bats for that reason. These are not bats. These are swallows and they're all around. You're like, where are the, when are the bats going to come out? And how are they going to deal with all these birds? Are they going to crash into them? Like, how is this going to work? There's just too much happening outside this cave entrance. And the eeriest thing happens, which is that all of a sudden the birds are gone. Because the bats are coming. That's kind of terrifying. They know. So the birds are just missing all of a sudden. Within like a minute, this tornado of bats. If, if, if you haven't seen bats coming out of wherever they're nesting or their cave or, or under a bridge or wherever, they do like this counterclockwise motion of swirling like tornado as they exit it. And then they kind of fly out like a snake, like a, almost a, a bat highway to their feeding destination. And it is the most stunning thing I've, I've one, of, one of the most stunning things I've ever seen in my life. It's wow. beautiful. And you're just sitting there in total silence. You can't record anything. So I have no photos or videos because you're not allowed. I for the best guy experience in the moment. Yeah. I guess like it would confuse the bats maybe if there's a lot of noise and flashing. And, I'll probably scare them. Yeah, exactly. And then, then they would never come out of that cave anymore. So <laughs> you got to be quiet. And it's just beautiful. And the thing that's really crazy is it goes on for hours. <laughs> you could really sit there for almost two hours and just watch hundreds of thousands of bats exit a cave. I think we made it 20 minutes, but it's still really beautiful. <laughs> it does get, it's starting to get dark at a certain point too. You can't really see much. And some bats are like veering off and they're flying over your head. And it's just a really cool, if you're into bats, it's a really cozy outdoor atmosphere. The desert is actually really cool at night. And so it's very comfortable sitting outside. See the stars? And 
as you can see the stars, it's just like a beautiful, like kind of, I mean, it's a sunset sky. So like it's orange and purple and these bats yeah. are everywhere. It's just like a super Sounds gorgeous, beautiful That's cool. um, scene. And so if you ever, you know, are in New Mexico or making a trip through the West and you have a chance to stop at Carlsbad Caverns, make time for the bat flight at sunset. It's really worth it. It's a good um, what, I think what's extra cozy about it for me is you have all these tourists who are all around you being super obnoxious <laughs> for <laughs> while you're all waiting for the bats to come out. And it's a good reminder that like even the most obnoxious tourists like can appreciate beauty because they all shut up. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> like my kind of destination. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something odd them enough to stop doing these chants. We had this group from Texas, some summer camp that was like, they were literally doing with the wave and callbacks to each other. And Look, that's super cute, and I love their energy, and they seem like really sweet people, but like it was too much for me. Were there bat shirts? Was there memorabilia? There was. You could buy bat plushies and shirts and caps. And... I love a good gift store. I never knew anything like that existed. Me neither until we did this trip. Awesome. And learning about it, there are plenty of other places around the country where you can watch this phenomenon happen whenever bats, wherever bats are leaving a place <laughs> in large numbers is happening. I think Austin has something like this where bats yeah. are at a bridge. But yeah, check it out. Carlsbad Caverns Bat Flight. Jillian, what's making you feel cozy? It's this new show that I found from Tignataro called Under a Rock. And it you can just find the episodes on YouTube. It's through Funny or Die. And basically... Oh, it's, on, it's on Amazon, too, because it's okay. like a partnership with Alexa. Oh, oh yeah. cool. So I didn't know about Tig, but I guess she has this um, <laughs> thing where she doesn't know a lot of celebrities or isn't familiar. Like she didn't know who Al Chapino was. Um, until 2014, she had a story about how um, she ran to Anne Hathaway and didn't recognize her. And it could be a bit put on, which I'm sure, but I think there's also a lot of people who just aren't familiar with celebrities, even if they are in that, in that world. Mm-hmm. Or even it's like, I find that really cozy when people don't know who celebrities are, because that's kind of my world. So for example, my partner thinks, from if you watch the Real Housewives of New York City, that Sonia Morgan is her name is Sharon and always cracks me up. Or like the other day, she said, "Cause you're watching what Watch What Happens Live," and she goes, "I don't want that Andy Cohen on my TV." <laughs> <laughs> so Andy Cohen turned from a Jewish man into an Irishman overnight. <laughs> so Tig, she basically interviews celebrities who she's she doesn't know or doesn't recognize, and so they had uh, Melissa Joan Hart on, James Vanderbeek, Julie Bowen from Modern Family. Clive Jean. Yeah, Wolfgang Puck. And so I like to see celebrities humbled. I find that cozy. And it's it's a really it's a really cute show because they do all these um clues. The celebrity shares clues about themselves and take us to guess who they are. And there's a lot of miscommunication humor, which I love. Nothing makes me feel more cozy than miscommunication humor. Um, and I also like to see the celebrities getting a little bit low-key irritated that she doesn't know who they are, and I find that funny. Yeah. <laughs> like especially Wolfgang Puck, he was kind of cranky really <laughs> yeah he was getting really cranky um but I, if you put wolfgang puck on the street on the heck he was i thought melissa joan hart was a good sp- sport because she was like every actor needs to have this experience yeah no it's you know, true the only, per- to Earth. the only person who seemed legitimately irritated i think was julie bowen do you think so yeah she came across to me as a little I maybe mean, this is her energy i think she has a very nervous high energy or maybe i'm just bias because i heard that she's being tucked I, I think you have a bowen bias <laughs> bowen bias <laughs> i didn't get that called again wait what is this uh, under a rock under a rock i i've never heard of it i'm gonna have it's to. really it's really cute because i mean especially like she reminds me of my dad's knowledge about celebrities where he just has no idea who anyone is 
if, right. but if you're, if you're Christy Brinkley, he knows, but he just knows like a few like celebrities back from his, mm-hmm. his time. And so it's, it's cute to, to see, and it's just adorable and I enjoy it. I like that little banter they have. It's a sweet, cute show and they're in small bites. So you can just watch it in the background. I think they're yeah. five, five or 10 minutes long. Yeah. They're really oh. short. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's tied in with Alexa um, and Amazon. So like she always has to use the, the one downside of the show is like, the product placement or she has to use the Alexa. Yeah. That's not very um, cozy, but yeah, I, I love Tig. It was funny. I was listening to a podcast with her talking about the making of the show under rock. How they do it is the producers have photos of celebrities and they basically do like, just like a test where they like show her photos and they're like, do you know this person? And then if she does, they put it in, off to the side. But if she doesn't, <laughs> then they'll go in and just like have different photos of that person to be like, here are different angles. Are you sure you don't know who this person is? Oh, and wow. that's how they pick the people to be on it when she really legitimately has no idea based on photos who that is. Yeah, I had no idea that's how they came, came up with the guests because I was kind of curious if, if it's one of those fake outs where she doesn't really know who they are, but she does seem legitimately. Yeah, no, she, she really doesn't. She really doesn't. That sounds good. So before we start um, our chat with Jenny, I do want to quickly let everyone know our big news, which is we have a Patreon. Yay! <laughs> Finally, we've been, we've been saying it for like 10 years now we have a patreon but <laughs> we do and it's really exciting we matt and i met up earlier this week and we have the page all set up and ready to go we'll have more patreon details at the end of this episode so stay tuned for all of that info but that can wait because <laughs> we want to talk to jenny <laughs> as we said earlier jenny is the author of the cafe prose mystery series the first of which is called prose and poison and that follows our protagonist named Talbot Meadows, who is a rare materials appraiser at the Library of Congress, just super cozy job. So she returns to her small town of Willow Creek, Pennsylvania, because an eccentric millionaire in town named Harold Ellerton has a new acquisition that he, I mean, he kind of really lures her to town. Well, anyway, Harold doesn't last very long because he's found murdered in his study. He doesn't last very long. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the mysterious rare book that he wanted to get Talbot to appraise is gone. It's nowhere mm-hmm. in sight. And so to make matters worse, she gets a phone call, Talbot, that her she lost her job, which is her dream job at the Library of Congress. So she sort of sets up shop in ho- her hometown, lives with her mother in Pennsylvania and her eccentric aunt, starts working at her best friend's bookstore, which is Cafe Pros. She gets pulled into the mystery by her new romantic interest, mm-hmm who's Harold's handsome British grandson, Peter. And he's the first one to suspect foul play. And they kind of like start to investigate the mystery together. And so our first question for you, Jenny, Mm -hmm. is what inspired your Cafe Pros mysteries? What first inspired me to write Cafe Pros was Shakespeare, (laughs) William Shakespeare. And, And I know we'll talk about this probably later on in my love for Shakespeare, but I wanted to have a story where there's a mystery that revolves around not only a death, but around Shakespeare and books and literature in general. And that there are some mysteries and clues, you know, within, within literature. And so I always say like, he's my greatest inspiration. So Shakespeare inspires really most of my writing, most of my books. But what also inspired me is... (laughs) Hallmark movies and mysteries. Yes. Of course. Uh, I love them all. And I'm a big fan of cozy mysteries. And so I'm inspired by other works that I read and other authors. And for the longest time, I've been wanting to write 
a murder mystery. I mean, my gosh, I remember growing up binge watching Murder, She Wrote with my grandmother. And I knew then I wanted to be a writer and one day I would write a mystery. And so I wrote my Cafe Prose, the first book in Cafe Prose, Prose and Poison. That's awesome. Yeah. Because Shakespeare obviously figures greatly in your um, Mm -hmm. work. So it's nice to know that he also inspired this whole series. Yes, for sure. We always talk about settings with our authors that we speak to. And so you chose the Mid-Atlantic for the setting of your book. And what inspired you to choose Pennsylvania for the book settings, besides the fact that you live there, obviously? Right. Well, a lot of cozies, of course, are on the East Coast in small, quaint, cozy Mm -hmm. towns up north. And I know you want me to tell you besides living here, but that is a big reason why I chose it because Mm -hmm. I do live in Pennsylvania and I know the area so well. And um, I wanted to kind of play homage to my my hometown, which is Chambersburg, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. And so Willow Creek is my small hometown. And it's a town where there are a lot of small circles. Everybody knows everyone. When I go back, when I visit, I bump into people I graduated with. It's like a high school reunion. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you walk down the street and you run into at least three or four people that you know. So I knew I could be inspired by, by that town, by my hometown. And that's why I chose to set it in Pennsylvania. The fall foliage there is gorgeous. And I knew that I wanted my mystery, the first one to take place during the fall to really play Mm -hmm. up with those colors. Um, And I could really lay out the town because I'm so familiar with it. Um, So I drew, I drew a little map of all of the roads, Maple Street and Elm and Willow Creek. And the Willow Creek Creek is actually the Falling Spring Creek where I grew up. And the Ellerton Estate is actually my grandparents' farm, little estate area, which was right down the street from my house, which would have been, you know, Talbot's house. So I did base it, you know, on my hometown. And I didn't want to change the setting. I didn't want to move it to New England because a lot of mysteries are written in that area. I wanted mm-hmm. to keep it in central yeah. Pennsylvania. That's that old adage, right? What you know. And sometimes you can be too close to um, a topic or place to write about it. But the flip side side of that is it could also inspire you in great ways and um, get those creative juices flowing, which it seems like it did in your case. It really did for this. And then, I mean, my children's books that I I write, that's in a completely made up town of Nova. That's that's a fantastical, (laughs) that town (laughs) came out of nowhere. Um, But I had, I wanted to have a connection in my murder mystery to a town. That makes sense. We always want to see spaces that we experience in our lives represented in the things that we enjoy. And so it is true. Like if when you live, I mean, I'm from the Midwest and there really aren't that many Midwestern cozies. I don't Vivian Chen. Yeah, no, exactly. Vivian. Yeah, exactly. Vivian Chen's story is in Cleveland, which felt it was like finally like a Midwestern cozy. Um, And so I totally hear like, where is the Pennsylvania small town? Yeah, I, I legit love reading new cozies that have unique unique settings, and it's just a fresh take, which is nice. Speaking of of things that you have experience with, that you're brought into the book in your acknowledgments, you mentioned well, obviously your love for Shakespeare, and that because of that, you spent time at the Folger Shakespeare Library, which fits really well into Talbot's job in the book series, which is that she's a professional rare book appraiser at the Library of Congress. What did you learn from your time working with rare books? It's a super fascinating subject. My time spent, and it was a week. It was a, a short, it was so, felt so short. It was, I think, six and a half days. And I got to, yes, work with rare materials. So I actually got to hold in my hand Shakespeare's folio. Oh, wow. It was a life-changing, and I know that sounds 
that's a huge way to describe it, but it really was life-changing. The people that I met there, the scholars and friends and fellow teachers that I met there, and just holding some of these materials in my hands was was just life-changing. And like, oh my goodness, I am touching a piece of literature that has been around for 400 plus years, some, some things actually even older, and how this shaped, how this piece of work shaped so much literature and I'm holding it in my hands right now. So I listen to me. I totally I forgot your question because I'm talking about <laughs> Well, I'm curious, like, how did that opportunity come up? What, like, what led you to the Shakespeare Library? I'll tell you. And you're, Matt, you're a high school English teacher, right? I am, yes. <laughs> so you might be interested in this. They had, it was a brand new program they were offering where you could apply. It was teachers across the United States could apply to spend a week studying at the Folger Shakespeare Library. And I was one of the 20 teachers chosen. I put in an application. I sent pictures in of my son dressed as Shakespeare, my Shakespeare t-shirts. Like, I love Shakespeare this much. Please accept me. And oh my goodness, they did. And so that's that's how I was able to go to the Folger Shakespeare Library. And it was a week of studying Hamlet. So we did an in-depth study of Hamlet mm. and we made, we created teaching modules around Hamlet. So, um, and we had to use rare materials, rare, you know, primary source materials in our lessons that we would then bring back to our classrooms that next school year, because this happened in July, three years ago. That's amazing. It, oh, amazing. And it really transformed the way that, that I taught Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always was performance-based because I went to school for theater. I directed the musicals. I directed shows um, when I taught. But it really changed the way that I approached teaching because I I would put performance-based assessments and performance-based lessons in everyday lessons. Um, And I got that from the Folger Shakespeare Library. It's just amazing hands-on. So Matt, something you might want to look into. I don't know if you teach Shakespeare or not, but every other summer they they do this. I called it Shakespeare camp, (laughs) but they they do this program where you get to stay for a week and you get to work with these amazing materials. But when I was there sitting in the library, because it's very difficult to gain access to the library and gain access to these books, I knew, oh my gosh, I have to use these materials somehow. Like I will be using these in a book. (laughs) Well, congratulations on making the cut 20 teachers. That's really impressive. Yeah. And we're still in, we were there six days and we're still in contact with, with each other. Um, I formed some very close friendships in just a couple of days because we bonded over our just love of literature and teaching. Well, it's great. You could use it for your students and also for the book, you know, killing two birds in one stone. Yeah, double duty. Yeah. Yeah. I I taught uh, Romeo and Juliet with my Mm -hmm. co-teacher when I was teaching ninth grade. Performance is such a perfect way to get students to understand Shakespeare in a real way because so until right. they're saying it, <laughs> mm-hmm. until they really have to think about how it's performed and what they're saying, it doesn't quite click the way it does through performance. So that's, I, I completely agree. You're right. Cause I remember in high school sitting there reading it at my desk, not performance based at all. think, what am I getting out of this? <laughs> what is happening? And it's just fun. And it's, it's like a, a really fun way to learn it and to, it's what it's meant for. It's a play. It's just to perform it. So you mentioned that you developed curriculum around Hamlet. Do you have a favorite Shakespeare play? Would that be Hamlet or is there a different play that you, is your personal favorite? 
Macbeth is my favorite by far. Yeah, me too. Same. Oh. <laughs> we could be the three witches. Yes. Actually, I played witch number one in, in <laughs> Macbeth. That was my first Shakespeare play. I still remember my lines. Yeah, Macbeth by far. I love the lore surrounding it, the, mm-hmm. the curse of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Macbeth is by far my favorite. I love Lady Macbeth. She's intense. She's intense. She's intense. I love the witches. I love the supernatural spin. And I mm-hmm, love the, yeah. the, the the background of it, why Shakespeare was writing it and to please, you know, King James. And I love everything about it. That's a great yeah. choice. But mostly because I personally agree with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's the shortest. It's the shortest play. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know no, that. No, I didn't know that either. Yeah. All the more reason to love it. Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a cozy, a cozy one. But <laughs> no, not at all. On the topic of verb book appraising, though, like, so since you were working with rare materials, did you, was there any peculiarities around the things you had to do when working with those? The weirdest thing for me was when I checked out the folio. I'll never forget because we had to choose it again. We each chose a rare material to work with, and one of the items was the first folio. And everybody who I was with thought, well, there's no way they're going to give you the first folio. They'll give you a facsimile. But I signed Mm -hmm. up for it thinking, you know what? Maybe they'll hand it to me. And so I get into the library room uh, where you cannot bring pens. You can only have laptops. Um, You have to have clear bags. You have to leave everything at check-in. I mean, there's security because they don't want you writing, obviously, on Mm -hmm. these materials or, Mm -hmm. or hurting them in any way. And I went to the librarian and I said, my name is Jenny Brown. And I requested... Shakespeare's folio. And so they handed me this folio. Nobody told me what I was supposed to do with it. So the one director of education came over to me and said, is that what I think it is? And I said, yes. And I'm holding this in my hands. I don't know what to do with it because no one has taught me how to put it down on the, on the cushions. Um, I didn't have gloves on. I had no clue. So I, and then I started bawling. So I start crying because I'm holding Shakespeare's first folio. <laughs> I'm crying. And the director, the assistant director of education at Folger Education said to me, you need to get yourself together. So she held on to it for a second. So I, I you're making I the folio wet. <laughs> well, that, was, that was it. That was exactly it. Like I couldn't cry on the full on Shakespeare's And I said, don't I need gloves? And the librarian explained to me that because the pages are so fragile, the pressure that you would use to turn the page with gloves on, because you can't really feel um, the pressure would tear the pages. So they prefer that you have clean hands, you wash your mm-hmm. hands, and then you can touch the oh, page. That's interesting. Because there's yeah, a I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, that there's a misconception. People think that, oh, you must wear gloves touching rare books because you don't want your oils, oils for your fingers. Right, right. No, because I even brought that up. So like, that's not an issue at all. Wash your hands, um, then you can touch it. But we don't want you wearing gloves. It's the opposite. We don't mm. want gloves because you will tear the pages. Oh, that guess it makes sense. They're so yeah. fragile. Switching gears a bit, um, love plays a big role in your book, especially yeah. with Patrick, and it serves as a, the jumping off point for other major plot points. Mm-hmm. And so I know that you write romance, but I'm curious, what inspired you to use Talbot's botched romance with pa- Patrick as kind of the center stage for a lot of conflict in the story? Is it terrible? I don't know how to answer that one. I just love romance. I just want to have yes. Well, that's fine. You know, that's what <laughs> you do. You, you do write romance on the side, which we'll talk, talk about later. But Right. And I think um, in life, 
our ambition drives us to, us to do things, our passion for something, and love. Like love drives some people to do things, and I think that that's just a, a human a human thing. So I wanted love to be a part of it, not the the largest part, but I wanted love to be part of of Talbot's journey, coming home and dealing with these potential suitors and ex suitors. <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense. I was just curious because, you know, it does play a big part of her relationship with Harold. All these relationships are intertwined based on this one romance. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how it'll unfold in the the future. It gives you a lot of fodder. fodder. (laughs) It does. And speaking of characters from your book, so you have... The dramatic Aunt Tilly, who was a stage actress living in town, and, you know, she's a, a terrible cook, <laughs> but a wonderful aunt. And then you have, I really loved her best friend, Piper, who yeah. runs the cafe um, and reads uh, tea leaves. <laughs> and so I'm really curious, like, your process around populating Willow Creek with all these charming and quirky characters. What is, how, how did you, how did these characters come to life and what are you drawing from? When it comes to side characters, for almost every book that I've written, I've pants them. I mean, they just kind of pop in my head. <laughs> and and I my first draft, I just kind of go with, oh, okay, so here's her crazy aunt. Oh, she's a stage actress because that's what I know. Like I'm familiar with the theater. Mm-hmm. And she, oh, I think, well, who would I want to hang out with? Like my aunt. What what is my aunt, you know, my aunt that I love so much, like, what is she, what is she like? What does she do? What characteristics do I like in her? Oh, I'm going to use some of those similar characteristics. The quirkiness, kind of loud, um, center stage at times. I'm going to use that in in this character. So it's a little bit of who I know, a little bit of, or what I know, a little bit of pantsing. Um, and then the type of characters that I personally, Jenny K. Brown, would want to hang out with. Like, I think Piper, I would love to have a best friend like Piper. Well, she, she leaves. Yeah, Very she's me. She's so cool. Like I really, I really like her. Oh, but oh, but poor Piper in the next book. But we'll get to, we'll talk about that later. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> no, nothing bad with her. No, nothing. She, nothing bad happens to her. But there's the mystery does revolve around you know something about. Oh, her. there's some drama. Um, yeah, there's some drama there. But I I start with just the basics, and then I don't know. I fill them in as I as I write, and then I'll come back and revisit and say, oh. Did this character, did this choice, did her choice in chapter 14, does that seem like her character? Is that out of character? And I'll change it, you know, accordingly. But like I said, I'm more of a, a pantser when it comes to those side characters. Yeah, it sounds like they become a, a really great way to like sort of exercise interests and kind of essentialize people into like, they, they start with like a, oh, well, you know, I, I like people who are actors or I, f- I feel like it'd be really interesting to have some a character who's an actor or reads tea leaves mm-hmm. and then they grow from there. And I, I especially love yeah. Piper, not just because of her, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Professor Trelawney, <laughs> what, what is that? Divination, her divination yeah. habits. Yes. But also her place of work because cafe pros is just such a cozy. I mean, I think so cool. if, if a whole like stack of money just dropped on me and I could do anything, I feel like starting a bookstore slash cafe would be pretty high on my list. Yeah. And so that's it's a exactly, perfect cozy location. That's exactly why I wrote it because I would love to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I created it. It also reminded me of Gilmore girls a little bit with all the different mm-hmm. wacky characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you watch that show, but it is. I thinking I've watched the entire series three times and it's a similar, I mean, all, I think a lot of cozy, mysteries and cozy settings are similar to the Gilmore Girls, those quirky characters, the small town, everybody mm-hmm. knows each other. Very true. 
I love Gilmore Girls. Now that I'm going to have to start it over again for a fourth time. Thank you. <laughs> so you referenced this earlier that you taught high school English for 14 years, right? Yeah. Did I get that right? A little less, like 13 and a half. I started the summer. We'll after round up. It's 14. <laughs> <laughs> you're a teacher full time. And then you're also writing the Poppy Mayberry books mm-hmm. in addition to other things. And so as a teacher myself, I'm really curious to hear because teaching is, I, I mean, not, I think, I don't know if everyone knows how difficult teaching can be, like in terms of, especially as an English teacher, where you are, you're planning lessons and on top of that, now I'm just on, on my soapbox about teaching. It's like t- at least two jobs in one. Yes. You could really split up a teacher into two people and have two full-time jobs. One who's writing mm-hmm. the curriculum and planning what's going to happen each day and doing all of the paperwork and grading that's involved with teaching, all the kind of stuff you would do in an office setting. But a teacher has to do all of that, grading, lesson planning, kind of prepare, like it's almost like you have to write the play and perform it. Yeah, you have to be on all the time too. Right, I have to be on all the time, and then. But you, do you have any time to do any of that during your day? No, because you're teaching all day, <laughs> and so all that's you know you have to do all that in the margins of like when you get home at night or during the one conference period that you never really get because it's always taken up with other meetings or IT meetings. Exactly, and, there's yeah. just everything else to do. You know, I, I'm always curious to hear how people, you know, when they're beginning their writing career and they're having to balance it with their job. That's always a challenge. But I really want to hear from a teacher's perspective because I feel like it's extra hard because you don't even have free time. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you make that work? Um, late nights and weekends. Um, and then I, w- I would cram in like my lunch, my lunchtime. I would cram in my grading during my lunch and planning period. I would try to get as much done at school as I could. Mm-hmm. So I'd have some, a little bit of the evening open to write. It was much easier to write before I had my son. My son is five now, and that's another another full time. Yeah, job. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the teaching, the planning, the grading, the meetings, and all the other hoops you have to jump through as a teacher, and then you know my family, and then wanting to write. So at first it was just late nights and weekends, and um, when my son came along, it still was I guess late nights and weekends. But I I would lean heavily, pretty heavily on my husband. He's awesome. And super, super supportive of my writing goals, my writing career. And so he oftentimes will watch our son if I want to go out, you know, an evening or two a week and get some things written. If I want to retreat to my office or go to Starbucks, it's such a cliche to go writing at a coffee shop, but I do that. Like my get my best work done actually at two coffee shops or a little Italian restaurant with a glass of wine oh, down the road. Oh, nice. Oh, that's, that's really nice. I, like, I love yeah. that. Sometimes inspiration flows when you have some. Um, <laughs> yeah inspiration. Having him, you know, to be with our son, I found, I found a little bit of balance. I will be honest though, the last couple of years, I really struggled, um, to find that teach right life balance. And I think that's one of the reasons that I just, my husband and I, and, you know, we talked and I made the decision that it was time to be done with teaching and focus Mm -hmm. on, and focus on my writing full time because I would get, oh my gosh, I would get cranky. My husband and son would notice it because there would be weeks at a time where I don't have time to write because especially when the, the research papers were rolling in yeah. um, because I'm up early planning, go to school, you teach all day, go to meetings, stay after for faculty meetings, whatever. I'm grading all night. So I wasn't getting any words in, no words written. And I get cranky because that's my passion, writing. I love writing so much. And if you go a couple of days without writing, like, 
I would get snippy. <laughs> um, and I just realized that something, something had to give. And that was, that was teaching. Yeah. So basically, I mean, you answered my next question, which is what inspired you to make the formal leap from being a teacher to a writer full time, but it seems like it was just your passion and you couldn't resist it any longer. And you took, the, took that risk, you know, teaching for 14 years, teaching 14 years ago, even 10 years ago is much different than it is now. Mm-hmm. The demands on a teacher, the way that society, that people see educators, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's changed. It's really sad. And the, the amount of meetings and the amount of observation paperwork. So anyway, education has changed a lot. And I was just, I think it was a good time for me to leave. And my writing was doing pretty well. My poppy series, you know, did did fairly well. And I love that. And I, and I go to schools and I do school visits and, and I need, I wanted more time to do that because as a teacher, I wasn't given time. I couldn't take days to go to other schools. People see teacher schedule and they're like, Oh, you have all these. I mean, you do have wonderful breaks. Like you get summers off, Mm -hmm. you get nice breaks during the winter and fall and spring. And and those are absolutely needed and and awesome. Mm -hmm. But it does create like this inconsistency around like, yeah, I'm I'm super available in the summer and I have a lot of time to follow my passions. Mm -hmm. But then during the school year, it's hard to maintain that because all of a sudden now I have no time at all. So it's really hard to create a balance and momentum. You're right. It's very difficult to take time off as a teacher. I, I I had to turn down so many school visits this year because I... A, didn't have the time, or I have to take unpaid leave to do these things because it's not directly related to school. And I just can't afford to take unpaid leave um, to go to the other schools, even though these kids are inspired and are excited. And I have so much fun when I do this, you know, pursuing my passion. um, I I couldn't do it. So now writing full time allows me, you know, that opportunity. And also this year, um, with start doing my pen name, my Juliet, my Juliet Bardsley, I've seen some success in the romance world. And, and I just felt it was just the right time. I felt it was the right time. My husband is super supportive. My son, he's only five, but he, he loves my poppy books and he loves that I'm a writer, family and friends, all really supportive and excited for me. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It's funny because I'm full-time writing now, but my son is home with me all summer. So mm-hmm. I'm actually getting a little less writing done than I did when I was <laughs> the last month of school. But when he'll start kindergarten in the fall, so I'll have my mornings to really get some pages written. It's always a tricky balancing act with everything that life throws at you and then having passion. And But it, sound, it sounds like you're making it work. And, and on that topic of making things work, Pros and Poison is a self-published cozy mystery. Yeah. A lot of people are looking into that and considering, okay, do I go with a traditional publisher or is self-publishing the route for me? And so we were wondering if you could share your experience with self-publishing and if you had any advice for listeners considering um, self-publishing their books. Sure. Um, and I, I have, I'm a hybrid writer. So I have books traditionally published mm-hmm. through my agent and self-published. So I've seen, you know, the best and worst of both worlds. I I think that self-publishing has changed a lot over the last number of years. Um, and if you write and you have a good book and you have you you're passionate about what you've written, by all means put it out there because I think many writers they just want the world to read their words. Um, and if people want to read it, they will. And if they don't, okay, they don't. I've had a really good, um, introduction to self-publishing. I started 
with my romances because they're they're self-published through a hybrid hybrid press so it's more of a, a group self-publishing publishing house and so it's other authors who are self-published and we kind of pick each other up and we're each other's cheerleaders so that's been really cool I like self-publishing because I can do things on my own time whereas with traditional traditional publishing I, it's all on the publisher's timeline so you get a book deal and then your book doesn't come out for another two, two and a half years, but you're ready for your words to be out in the world, but you're waiting for cover design and you're waiting for this round of edits and this round of edits and this round of edits and, and then this, and then to go to this team and then this team before it comes out into the world. I just want my book to, to come out. But with self-publishing, truly a click of the button and your book is out in the world. However, if, if you are pursuing self-publishing, you are still held you're, you're held to a high standard. Um, so you want to make sure that, you know, your book is edited and proofread. You, you guys read, I think an arc, right? Advanced reader copies. Yes. yes. Reader copies. So there are still some tweaks and changes to be made. Um, but you still have to go through a lot of, of that work. I mean, you want to write the best book that you can. And then I think it really pays off to hire somebody to do at least a proofread. I mean, ideally you would have copy edit and a proofread, but at least a proofread before putting it up on Amazon or whatever, um, whatever site you want. Um, but I, I, I've really enjoyed the self-publishing process. I didn't know that I would. It, my, my goal in 2011, when I first started writing, when I wrote Poppy, um, was to be traditionally published. I need to get an agent. I need to have a book deal. I want to get foreign book deals and, and then I will make a career out of this. And that was great. I did that and it was wonderful. I had a good experience. But with this series, I with this series and with my romance, I just knew that I wanted it to move a little bit faster. And I kind of knew what I was doing at that point because I had gone through the traditional publishing thing. And so I pursued the self the self-publishing. Since you had that experience with traditional publishing, publishing, and you knew the the ropes a little bit, for people who haven't had that, was there something that like, oh, because I knew this, I was able to better prepare for self publishing? What would that be? That thing, the thing that you learned from traditional publishing that you applied to your self publishing? You need to have a well written book at the end of the day. I mm-hmm. mean, your book needs to be written well. It needs to be edited, and you have to have a bit of a business mind. Because even traditional publishing, a lot of authors, and myself included with the Poppy series, yes, there's a marketing team at publishing houses, but the author is doing a lot of that, that heavy lifting, going out and, and pushing your book and, and sending email blasts and setting up newsletter swaps and all of that. Uh, that comes in handy in the traditional world. And I knew that. And so I applied that to the self, my self-publishing as well. I'll tell you my, my romance books, my novellas, because they're all, they're short, sweet, and swoon-worthy. Um, they've done very, very well. And I think it's because I knew I had to set up the newsletter, the newsletter swaps. Mm. Um, I knew that it's so important to be part of a writing community. Uh, before traditional publishing, I didn't realize the importance of having writing friends and colleagues because you just boost one another. I think all writers want to see other writers succeed because if you do well, other writers are going to do well. I mean, you just kind of feed off of each other. So I didn't realize what a, a tight community the writing community was and that you need you need your author friends um, to kind of boost you. And so I learned that, you know, from my traditional experience as well. Yeah, it's important to have that writing community to support mm-hmm. each other on that journey. 
So what what's next for Talbot Meadows? So when can we catch up with the latest installment in the Cafe Pros mystery series? Well, my goal was to have that out in August, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It's probably going to be October. I thought I would get a little more writing done being mm. home. But like I said, I'm with my five-year-old all summer. <laughs> so that is proving difficult. So um, I'm hoping for this fall. The next book is called Letters and Larceny. Oh, I see like the title. So we have Pros and Poison and there's Letters and Larceny. And um, this takes place at, as we know, um, Piper is planning a wedding and some things go awry and somebody dies. <laughs> uh, and Talbot is is going to be solving that mystery. We can't wait. Some, can't wait. Some of her great. friends, some that might come back, <laughs> that might not. You'll have to see. And then I have a, a new series I'm starting, and like my like my sweet romance novellas, I'm gonna I'm gonna put out um, a novella cozy mystery series. So they're short, quick mystery oh, reads. That sounds neat. Yeah, I love cozy mystery novellas. They always work really well. It's a yeah, good format for it. I'm looking twenty five to thirty thousand words, and it's the Bubbles Boutique mystery series about a, a girl named Violet Oleander who works. Um, she owns a Bubbles Boutique, so it's a soaps and more store. <laughs> and, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, where can people find you online to um, stay in touch with your writing? They can find me on Twitter at Jenny K Writes or um, on Twitter at Gemma Bard, J-E-M-M-A-B-A-R-D. I'm also on Instagram um, at Jenny K. Brown, I think. Jenny K. Writes. Isn't it terrible? I can't, I can't remember. My I know, it's always I, hard I, to remember. I can never handle. remember. Yeah. yeah. But if you Google search, if you put in my book. Just Google title, it. <laughs> yeah. Google me. Google J-E-N-N-I-E-K Brown. And then from there, you can find all of my pen names and my pseudonyms. And, and do check out the Cafe Pros Mysteries. We really enjoyed yes. it. They were yes. incredibly cozy. Um, we'll put a link in our show notes to the Amazon link. I was actually really nervous to send it to you guys because I love your podcast so much and you read so many cozy mysteries. And I thought, oh, if they, what if they hate it? What if they no, hate it? Yeah, no, no, thanks for reaching out. We loved <laughs> it. Well, thank and you for giving it to us because it was a really cozy read. I mean, I, I finished it super quickly because I honestly just enjoyed living in, um, in that yeah, town. It was very, very breezy. Oh, that's what I want. Perfect. I think it's been my favorite book that I've written. It's just fun. It's been it so much very fun. fun. It's very fun. Yeah, absolutely. So well, thank you so you. much, Jenny. So lovely chatting with you. Also, happy birthday. This, this episode's going to drop on oh, your birthday, yes. right? That's exciting. Oh, oh, did you see my Instagram? I, yes. I did, yeah. yeah so, we so liked it. Happy birthday from, I guess, the, the past into the future. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. All right. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much, Jenny. Again. Okay, bye. So it's just the two of us yeah. again to chime in with our candle review. And we actually have a candle this week. We do. There's it's no a Maker's Mess new. debacle. <laughs> well, I'll bring my Maker's Mess candle I still want to smell it. That's what I'm, If I'm salty, it's because I still want to smell that candle. I will bring I keep on forgetting, but I'll bring, I'll bring it next time because it is very unique. It's the review that got away. Yeah. But we do have a, a brand new candle we're testing today, courtesy of my friend Thea, who was a guest on the program, mm-hmm. the voice of the After Smash theme, Thea Schussler. And she lent us this root beer float candle, um, which is made by our own candle company, which to be clear is not our candle company, me and Jillian. It's the name of the company is quote, our own candle company end quote. Kind of confusing. Kind of confusing, but it's, it comes in a super cute Mason jar cup or glass. 
it has like it looks like a root beer float. It has like a kind mm-hmm. of um, brown base, and then it has the foamy cream on top. As a handle. When you first open the lid, it's like immediately just smells perfectly like root beer. Mm. From the scent I'm getting from it, like it it actually is filling the room with a really lovely cream scent. Yeah, very creamy scent. I was worried it's going to be too sugary. Mm-hmm. I don't like candles typically that smell like um, cakes or cookies mm-hmm. or because they're too sugary and it gives me a headache. Yeah. But this has a nice creamy smell. Yeah, it has a kind of like spicy, creamy. It smells like a root beer float. I mean, it, it's doing what it says it does. Yeah, and so. I haven't thought about a root beer float in I know, but it makes makes me want one. Yeah, it's perfectly the the accurate scent. It kind of almost feels like we're in a bakery. Like it has that very like nice food scent. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I I like I said, I wasn't sure, a little apprehensive, but it's not overpowering. It's a very velvety. Do you know what reminds me of? Is I don't know if you've ever been to. This is maybe like a midwestern store, and it's not a chain, but. It's called Door County Confectionery. It, may, it might have just been in the Randhurst Mall in Mount Prospect where I grew up. That's where I got a lot of my Beanie Babies. <laughs> and it's a, it was a candy store and they sold Beanie Babies. And it smells exactly like that. It smells like kind of like a candy store, that creamy, sugary smell. But I agree, Jillian. It's not too sweet or overpowering at all. It's very light. Yeah, nice and eerie. And it looks like it gives you a good bang for your buck. It's filled to the brim. It's a big cup. Yeah. You can probably reuse it once you get yeah. the wax out. And you can not, now you have a, a mason jar cup. Yeah, I like it. I have to give, give it a, a full wick for me. Full wick for me, too. And I'm going to go get a root beer float later. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds actually really good. Before we go, we want to talk about our new exciting venture, <laughs> which is, I mean, there's really no change in anything we're doing, but we have a Patreon now. Finally. Finally. I know people have been asking for that. And honestly, we had a lot of different options when it came to Patreon. You know, there's the Patreons that are open and there's the Patreons that have the tier incentives. And Julie and I spent a lot of time talking about like what our tiers could be and different rewards and stuff. And what we kept coming back to was what is the truest representation of the show? Mm-hmm. And I know that kind of sounds corny, but it's true. Like any kind of tier thing, we're not open to that maybe in the future, but right now it kind of felt like what I like about this podcast, at least as, as a, a co-creator of it with Jillian is... It's, it is cozy, not just in terms of its content, but in terms of how we produce it. I think that kind of calm atmosphere around the show should be reflected in the Patreon, mm-hmm. too. The Patreon is just open, donate what you want, try to, no pressure, yeah, cozy. very low-key. Very low-key. Um, I, I don't even know, like, what Patreon's going to suggest in terms of, because we're going to launch it the same day we release this episode. So I don't know what they're going to suggest in terms of, or if I can add a suggested payment. I mean, I would say, like, if I had to self-evaluate this, like, self-assess this podcast, I mean, I would say like a dollar an episode sounds fair. So well, like I think whatever. $2 a month or more. I mean, Jillian's like, don't lowball it. No, no, um, no. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's low key. It's whatever you want. Whatever you I want. Really, like yeah, no pressure or don't. I mean, like the, the podcast is going to continue being free. Um, this is just to help us continue to make the show because there are hosting fees for the podcast. We buy candles Best, for the show. Yeah, the candles. Books for the show. Like it ends up, you know, being a pretty penny after a while of of money that we invest in the show. And our our recent guests will know that our technology is getting a little like fussy. And so eventually it's we're not too far away from needing new equipment. Mm-hmm. And so every little bit helps. And so obviously our listeners who have donated candles, that really supports us. And this is just a way like, you know, instead of sending a candle or a book, which again, we super appreciate. Thank you to everyone who's done that. Yeah, it's really Just nice. subscribe on Patreon and then we can 
put that money towards producing the show and it, and it does go help a lot. And you get a it, sticker as, as a little gift. We're, we have all things cozy stickers. You can show your love for the show to the world. So anyone who subscribes to us on Patreon will get a all things cozy sticker mm-hmm. and a personalized thank you note from me and Julian. So yeah, we look forward to um, having your support and thank you for even considering donating. Yeah. And, and so and, and I, ca- who knows counts. where Patreon's going to head in the future in terms of like what that turns into, but we're dipping our toe in the water. Yeah, so just getting yeah. ourselves out there and who knows, there might be other things in the future for merchandise that we're thinking mm-hmm. about. So, but for now we're just going to start smart, small and see where it goes. Yeah. So the Patreon is patreon.com slash all things cozy, super simple. And that will be there when it launches. Um, and you can, can subscribe there and, and won't you be our patron? Oh, <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, I think, I think it'll be good. I'm excited to see, um, like I said, the support we get. And hopefully we get some <laughs> Jillian's support. Excited, Jillian's excited to see that cash. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm like the Donald Duck diving in the coins. <laughs> um, but no, I just, I, I guess it's a good gauge to see where we are and um, just... It gives us a little emotional boost, too, to know that people care and that they are listening. Sometimes I'm talking into the void. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I do think that, like, having a little bit of that income will just help us make the show better and mm-hmm. help us get candles we might not have. I mean, honestly, you all had to pity us and get diptyque candles for us because you were like, well, these two suckers shut up about <laughs> these diptyque candles. are going to finally just get them some. And so thank you for that. But now we can get our own, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> <laughs> That's what Matt's after. I'm yeah. after get I'm catch you after the candles. <laughs> but yeah, the the, the money is going to go back into the show in terms of like making sure that that can run successfully. And yeah, and that's I'm that's excited. our Patreon. Check it out. Um, as always, you can follow us at All Things Cozy Podcast on Instagram. We have our Facebook group. We're each individually on Twitter, and that's a uh, you can find us. Just you know, search All Things Cozy. We'll we'll come up on Twitter. And yeah, that does it for the show. Super excited to talk to Jenny K. Brown about um, her Cafe Prose Mysteries. Yeah. They're a really cozy read. Check them out. Yeah, and it, I, I thought it was really interesting to hear about self-publishing because I know a lot of our listeners mm-hmm. have done that or are considering it. And so um, it, is, it is an aspect of the cozy mystery world that need, needs to be talked about. Yeah, she brought up a lot of great points. And it was very insightful, especially with the Shakespeare stuff. So if you're a Shakespeare fan, this is going to be your catnip. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of Shakespeare. This is your balcony scene. Well, I'm just excited about us being the three witches and Macbeth. Right. So on, on, on. putting on our own play. <laughs> That's our next Patreon, funding our play. Fund our cauldron. Put the, put the bubble in our... <laughs> doesn't seem like it's going in it. All right. So <laughs> on that note, on that witchy note, as always, stay cozy. Stay cozy. <laughs>